Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you, previewing another Big Ten matchup for Penn State football. Conference uh, collision number three of this season. The 5-0 Penn State Nittany Lions ranked 10th in the country. Head to Iowa City. Third year in a row they're going to play the Hawkeyes. And Iowa coming in off of a loss to Michigan, which we'll get to in a moment. They are number 17 in the country. And they are the first ranked opponent on Penn Penn State's schedule. A crucial stretch that we're going to learn a lot about the Nittany Lions. Starting with this game Saturday night, 7.30 on ABC. Nationally televised. One of those matchups that just feels a little bit different than the first five we saw. And Sean, we got plenty to get to on this show. Fortunately, David Eicholt, uh, the Iowa reporter for the 24-7 Sports, did a great job setting the stage for us on the last episode. If any of our listeners missed out on that, solid 20-minute conversation, getting to know more about the Hawkeyes, more about Iowa's perspective in this matchup. But as usual, we're here to talk about Penn State football. Yeah, welcome to the jungle, man. It's a, it's time for the season to start. Penn State, of course, 5-0 and so far, but... You know, let's be honest, Iowa is a different animal. Kinnick Stadium on Saturday night's a different animal. I think it's a one of the unique settings in college football. Um it's just uh, it's you know, it's 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 that big test that we've been talking about for a long time. So I'm excited to see how Penn State responds. They seem to have a little swagger to them. They seem to have a little momentum behind them. I think uh, nationally, they've started to pick up some of these, uh, you know, some of this reputation as, hey, they're they're a pretty good team, and you know, maybe this is the team that can stick with Ohio State out of the Big Ten this year. Of course, Wisconsin on the other side is, you know, is its own entity. But uh, hey, Penn State's got a shot here. But it's going to take these next three games in order for for Penn State to get to Ohio State where they need to be man they got to get through Iowa which is tough of course Michigan's next weekend but uh, the focus right now on the Hawkeyes and really interested to see how this one matches up because Iowa quite frankly was was bad against Michigan last weekend that was an awful awful football game and uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where two very good defenses one of them has an offense to help it the other one not so much but the one that doesn't have the offense also has the home crowd and the atmosphere on its side. We will give you our predictions. We will talk a little bit about recruiting later in the show. But first, let's get into this Penn State-Iowa matchup. Some background here. Entering this decade, the Hawkeyes had a 12-11 edge all-time in the series. Five straight Penn State wins, though. Uh, in these back and forth battles, that gives them a 16 to 12 edge, three and zero under James Franklin in these matchups. Obviously, uh, the last time these teams played in Iowa City was an instant classic. We'll recap that in a bit. But Penn State's won 11 in a row now against the Big Ten West. They, they've they've Picked up another one of those wins last week against Purdue, 35-7, 28 points uh, on the first four possessions of the game. And then it was interesting. It felt like things went neutral for the offense, but nothing was neutral about Penn State's defense last week. As we recapped earlier in the week, uh, 10 sacks, 13 tackles for loss, and this is a defense that gives up the second fewest points per game in college football. It just so happens they face a team here in Iowa, Sean, that gives up the third fewest, 8.8 points per game. The one loss they've suffered against Michigan, they only gave up 10 points. So their defense certainly did its part in that matchup. But really quickly, a couple of years ago, Sean, this was uh, just a sensational matchup that people's hearts are probably still recovering from across Nittany Lions Nation. Uh, Saquon Barkley, 358 all-purpose yards, a Penn State record on 43 touches. Trace McSorley engineering a 12-play, 65-yard drive with a minute and 42 seconds to go. Jawan Johnson on the on the receiving end of a touchdown pass as time expires. And, and then the fourth-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions survived a major scare, uh, moved on with their season. Uh, and, and you know, right now, 
We're talking about the 10th-ranked Nittany Lions who have so much to play for. And you get a win here, I think you're going to be talking about a buzz around this program. And perhaps it's already there. It probably is already there. But a buzz around this program that, that hasn't been there since last September before they dropped that game against Ohio State at home. Well, last time they were out there, I mean, you, you saw exactly what Iowa can do to you. They can take you out of their game. I and mean, it's a phenomenally coached team, always is. I'm, I'm shocked um, that he is 0-3 against James Franklin. That's not a, a slight against Franklin, but... There, there aren't too many, you know, coaches out there that, that Kirk Ferenz is, is he has not gotten a win against. So um, for, for that to happen, you, you look at the last matchup, Penn State outgained Iowa 579 to 273, and they won on a buzzer beater. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the sort of thing that Iowa can do for you. Um, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, when Andrew and I used to do this podcast, it used to be the same thing with Iowa every year. It's, it is your grandfather's Iowa team. It's the, the, the strong defense, the running game, you know, the special teams and things like that. And, you know, we, we continue to see that. We saw that last year that the, the late turnover is what sprung Penn State. Nick Scott made a, made a play on a, a really bad ball by Nate Stanley. But I mean, you basically get the same thing you get every time you play Iowa. So, Really interested to see what this version does a little differently, which is interesting because they don't run the ball very well. They, you know, they've had issues at running back. They're gonna maybe rely on a freshman there. They're gonna do some uh, some different things. Nate Stanley, um, it probably is not, uh, you know, is is not the guy that the NFL draft people said that he was a year ago. You know, he's he's made some poor decisions, made some poor throws, but uh, it's it's always tough. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like clockwork. You go into to Kinnick Stadium, it's always tough to go against those guys. And I read that uh, Ricky Stanzi is going to be the, uh, the the guest captain for for Iowa. So never, never liked dealing with him in the first place, but I guess he'll be there on Saturday night. David told us on Tuesday they are they're throwing everything into this game. They got this celebration, that celebration, this dignitary, this alum. Uh, we saw something similar a couple weeks ago, but Maryland is not on Iowa's level on an annual basis, and certainly I don't think they are this year as well. The most recent matchup, Sean, and we sat next to each other in the press box for that one. It was a strange game last year. It was a strange point in Penn State's season and, and what turned out to be a pretty unpredictable season for the Nittany Lions. Uh, Iowa scored twice on safeties before Penn State put up any points in that game. Uh, Penn State dug themselves in a bit of an early hole. Uh, we saw Miles Sanders fumble on first and goal in the second half of that game. Trace McSorley went out with that leg injury, came back, and he put Penn State ahead with a 51-yard touchdown run. And then he threw a pick six. And then ultimately, Nate Stanley, 18 of 49 passing, a couple interceptions, and of course, the huge turnover on first and goal for him with Nick Scott coming up with that game ceiling interception. And Penn State won 30 to 24. Uh, I don't know how much you can take away from that game because a lot of the guys I just mentioned are no longer with Penn State football. Uh, Iowa lost a couple juggernaut tight ends who, for, who were first round picks in the NFL draft. Uh, but but certainly I, I think we're, I, I think you it's a good chance we're not going to see uh, a similar game set up in this one. Uh, it just was a bizarre circumstance, and I think we're looking at a, a contest here where new players have a chance to rise up for Penn State. We've seen some new faces step up for Iowa. It is worth noting that Sean Clifford is not going to be completely wide-eyed by the situation. He was on the sideline a couple years ago. He was Penn State's number three quarterback. He had a first-hand look at how Trace McSorley handled the situation. He knows what that atmosphere looks like. Uh, The fans are right on top of you, but let's face it, it's a completely different experience when you're the guy leading the team 
onto the field in this situation in under the lights. Um, he does have that road game experience against Maryland, but I feel like he had a deal with a hostile crowd for about eight minutes of game time that time around. Going to be a different set of circumstances this time, though, Sean. No doubt about it. And, and I like the night game experience that he's gotten early this year, both home and away. I think that will end up being something that helps him and, and helps a lot of these young guys that are getting out there for maybe not the first time, but, uh, you know, you, it's a different kind of animal. It's a different kind of adrenaline rush. And when you can manage that and when you can get that in, in touch, and we, we saw it at practice this week, Penn State just pumping the noise in probably louder than we've ever seen um, or, or heard, I guess um, that's awful uh, louder than we've ever heard. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. As we've said it before, he has to be better just from looking at that win against Purdue, a couple of throws and, and, and that's a couple more scores uh, that Penn state could have ridden and, and really opened up their offense. Same thing happened against Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. So Clifford's got to adjust to the atmosphere, maybe hit a couple uh, uh, big ones early. I can see the running backs being uh, a big, uh, uh, I guess, a big factor in this one coming out of the backfield. Iowa, I think, is going to send waves, and, and Penn State's got to figure out how to handle that, whether that's chipping with a tight end and getting a back out into the flat and working with it or, you know, just trying something new, getting the ball to uh, to, to K.J. Hamler at the, uh, uh, at the line of scrimmage, letting him do his thing. I think there's things that Penn State can do. And I think that they have the personnel to do them, whereas you look on the other side of the ball and it really doesn't seem to be the case. You know about Stanley, um, you think they're going to be able to run the ball, but they, they had one net rushing yard last week against Michigan. I mean, this is not the uh, Iowa offensive line that's going to send five guys to the NFL that are all six, seven. You know, this isn't the Iowa offensive line that we compare to the Wisconsin offensive line every year. You know, they, they gave up a lot of sacks last week and they were able to uh, they weren't really able to get anything going. So uh, I'm optimistic in terms of what Penn State can do from a speed aspect. I think you look at the last three matchups between Penn State and Iowa. The speed has really stood out on one side of the ball and Iowa has struggled with that. So this being one of the faster, if not the fastest Penn State uh, defense and entire team, I guess, uh, that we've seen in the last couple of years. I really think that's going to be something that, that, that Penn State tries to exploit. I said at the start of the season, I felt like until Penn State was going on the road to Columbus, they weren't going to face a team that you could argue had better overall athleticism than they have right now on their roster. Uh, it's the most athletic team that James Franklin has had at Penn State during his time. And I took a look, Sean, before we went on here at the talent composite rankings uh, that 24-7 Sports has put together for, for current personnel uh, across college football. The 2017 matchup, Penn State was number 19 in that talent composite. Iowa was number 49. A couple years later, Penn State's now risen up with those recruiting classes they've recently signed. They're number 10 in the country in that talent composite. I was gotten a little bit of an uptick, but they're still down at number 43. So to your point, yeah, the, the Penn State should have more weaponry at their advantage, at their disposal. But we've said before, they went to Iowa. Saquon Barkley had that record-setting day. They had more than 300 total yards than the Hawkeyes did, and they still needed to complete a pass on fourth and goal as time was expiring to come away with the win. So uh, we know that it's a lot more to Iowa th than, than the talent on the field or the, or the perceived recruiting success, much like a Michigan State who, and a Wisconsin who has played above uh, where, where they have signed you know, these classes in February. 
And, and Sean, I think the best thing that this team can do in Penn State is to put this game on Nate Stanley's shoulders. Um, you know, he's a guy who I think has proven he's he can collect the stats. He's played a lot of football for Iowa. This will be his third st- third start against Penn State in his career. Um, a couple years ago, he was very much you know reined in. He was asked to be a game manager, uh, get the ball to Akram Wadley, who had two long touchdowns for for Iowa in that game, but wasn't asked to do a lot. Last year was a different scenario. He was you know the offensive catalyst. They had him throw the ball almost fifty times. I think you'll take that if you're Penn State right now. But but Iowa coming into this game, do a quick recap of how they got here at four and one. Won their opener thirty eight to fourteen against Miami of Ohio. They shut out Rutgers thirty to nothing week two. Came away with a one point win eighteen seventeen against Iowa State in that in state rivalry. And then last week, as we mentioned, a ten three loss. And let's jump into that most recent performance. You watched some film on that uh, today on Thursday, Sean. Ten three was the score. Iowa had one net rushing yard. Nate Stanley facing a, an opportunity for his career to, to step up, had that definitive, you know, kind of a signature performance. Did not happen in any way, shape, or form. Three interceptions. Iowa had eight possessions where the score was 10 to 3, which is where it ended up with two interceptions, five punts, and then they ran out of time at the end of the game. That's pretty ugly. Uh, four of those drives resulted in fewer than 20 yards when they needed one touchdown to tie things up. Obviously, a field goal would have made a big impact over the course. What stood out to you as you got a chance to kind of recap uh, that effort from Iowa and, and from Michigan? Nothing. Nothing stood out to me. Uh, it was a ridiculous ball game. Um, if it happened on our site, on our in-game thread, our site would be on fire. Uh, I think on both <laughs> sides. And there was really not much you could take away from it. I mean, they tried to play that 1940s uh, line them up right at each other. And, and really what Michigan, what I did take away from it, Michigan said, Nate Stanley, go beat us. And Nate Stanley could not beat them. And that's, I think, the thing to take away from it. I think we see a bunch of cover one from Penn State. And, uh, f- uh, you know, really just lock down those guys on the outside because, you know, it's and this is a limited sample size and maybe they've gotten plays from these guys, but you just don't know who's going to beat you. I mean, the, 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 there's nobody that really jumps off the page Iowa has had standout skill players in the past, and they've, you know, there's talented guys. Uh, you know, uh, Makai Sargent, Torin Young, those guys have been in there. I mean, it's just, it's tough to, uh, it's tough to glean so much out of there, especially knowing the outcome. I think that that that's really so. Iowa, I, I, I almost, am, you know, I'm hesitant to take much from that tape. You almost want to throw it in the garbage. Hey, I do want to throw it in the garbage, considering how the quality of play. But uh, Iowa's a team that can take you out of your game. So I don't, I don't know that we can really glean much from last week, except that. I don't think they have the playmakers that Penn State has, and I don't think they have the speed that Penn State has. And, you know, I was going to scheme the way that they can do it. And going back to what you said earlier, they have a formula for getting things done. They're never the most talented team, you know, the, you know, the, in the Big Ten, you know, middle of the pack in terms of actual raw talent. But they coach them really well. They develop them really well. They put them in their spots and their systems and, and really, you know— it, end up having a what a nine win season you're going to end up having a nine win season so um it's uh, a tribute to what they can do um but at the end of the day i mean i just was i I kept looking for what would make this a three-point game from the from a a vegas perspective where penn state i think is favored by three and a half or four and a half or whatever it's been i just i couldn't find it and i I think they're really going to struggle with penn state speed this week 
I think the only way it ends up with that is if you see Penn State just never find a rhythm offensively because I have a hard time what we know about this Nittany Lions defense, what this Iowa team has shown on film through its first five games. It appears to be a significant mismatch. I know a lot of our colleagues this week were you know, asking questions of players. You know, Isn't this easily the best offensive line you faced this season? This is Iowa. This is Iowa. They have a big offensive line. They have... But like you said, that's that's kind of living off of a reputation. If they had that kind of bully offensive line this year, they would have put up more than one net rushing yard in a game against Michigan. It's just it, it, that that wouldn't happen. And and you watch it. I think this is another example of, of the interior of this offensive line looks susceptible. That's a spot where we've seen Penn State be able to rotate guys, slidey toward Gross Madison when you go with some of these speed packages. And I just really like the way that Penn State should be able to challenge them up front. And I don't want to make, to make it seem like Nate Stanley has never had his moments. Of course, there was that upset win over Ohio State uh, that same year that, that they played Penn State at home in 2017. He threw five touchdowns against no interceptions against a very talented Buckeyes team that year that just was taken to the woodshed. But then he followed that game up where people were really focusing in on Iowa after that game. Went to Wisconsin. He was 8 of 24 for 41 passing yards. And, and you just have not seen the consistency. He's accrued a lot of statistics. He had a three-touchdown performance last year in a bowl game against Mississippi State. Uh, but again, uh, it just the track record has not shown that, that he's going to be a guy that takes Iowa to the next level. There are some other familiar faces in that backfield. As you mentioned, Torn Young, Makai Sargent, they were the top two running backs for this team last year. Sargent had 106 total yards in Happy Valley last year. But the guy that's really been on the move for him, and David mentioned him on Tuesday, Tyler Goodson, he leads all Big Ten uh, running backs right now with 14 receptions. Um, David seemed to think that he's a guy that needs to be get more action as a rusher, uh, but he's proven to be a, a nice dual threat addition to this backfield, a guy that I think you're going to see more of. And that was important to him because they had to find uh, to Iowa because they had to find a way somehow, and, and they haven't done it, but and you weren't going to, but to offset the loss of TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, two first round picks in the same draft class at the same position at tight end, it seems like he's become you know that short short outlet uh, for Stanley and he's the guy that we've talked about Penn State how they're handling the screens uh, that being a, a key issue to, to, to stop the, stop those opportunities for opposing players you know on third and longs and those kind of backbreaking plays he looks like he's the priority for Iowa and in, and in turn the priority for Penn State to stop in those kind of circumstances this Saturday. Yeah, you're not going to like to hear it, but Penn State's got to stop the screen game. Um, I'm not sure how efficient they are in terms of screens, but I think they're going to you know see that on film and try to exploit that. Uh, Tyler Goodson is a, is a freshman that uh, he's been very very or da- our guy David has been very very high on for a long time. So interested to see how that works. I actually think that can be a key for both sides is is getting the ball out of the backfield. Swing passes, screen passes, things like that, getting some space. And, you know, Barkley had some success a couple of years ago when they went out there, you know, as a, as a receiver in all different ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that, that, that both sides could really benefit from the running back in the passing game. Uh, defensively, they've got some players. I mean, this defensive line was was kind of hyped up and is, is really kind of under-delivered. Um, you know, they've, they've got uh, uh, Epinesa out there at defensive end, who I think is a phenomenal player, um, going to be a high draft pick. But really, I mean, only five quarterback hurries right now and, and seven sacks from the uh, from this defense. So they've sort of underperformed. I think it's more staunch than flash. I mean, you're not going to they're, they're not going to pile up the 10 sacks that Penn State got last week. So we'll see what happens. And, and Geno Stone's a guy that I like a lot as uh, a Newcastle kid. Um, it was one of those guys where I was kind of waiting for Penn State to make a just before signing day bid on him. 
and, and see what happened because he would have dropped everything and come to Penn State in a heartbeat. I believe he was committed to Toledo or Kent State or one of those Mac schools. Iowa instead swoops in, and Iowa, for some reason, has had a ton of success grabbing PA kids and putting them at safety and, and, and getting those kids late and going to and, and going on to having great careers there. So Geno Stone's a guy to watch. Uh, I think he's a heck of a player. But Iowa's got some talent on that defense, or got a lot of talent on that defense. It's, it's more of a no-name defense right now than anything. And isn't that it's so Iowa, isn't it, to have a, a no name solid unit, but not a lot of flash, not a lot of star power. And and Geno Stone, as David said on Tuesday, he's a guy that that does bring a legit chip on his shoulder into these matchups against Penn State. Uh, he knows full well the scholarship offer was not on the table to stay home, play for Penn State. Something tells me right now, if, if Franklin could could serve one up to him, I think he'd have a spot on this roster and he, right now. He thought it he thought it was coming, and just given the circumstances of the year, it just it it wasn't the cards. And I, I you know I think Terry Smith actually thought it was coming too, and and kind of uh, you know let him know about that. But man. Uh, it, it was it would have been a late reach and people would have been uh, ticked about it. But man, he, he could probably start at safety at Penn State right now. And all he did in his uh, his debut in Beaver Stadium last year was was take a Trace McSorley uh, interception the other way for a touchdown, which really changed the complexion there late. Uh, so he has a little bit of history there. Elsewhere in the defensive backfield, something to monitor here on Saturday. Matt Hankins, an experienced cornerback for this team. Uh, he's missed the last three games, Sean, and, and he's got a hamstring injury. And, you know, David said it sounds like he's going to be available for them. But when you hear hamstring cornerback we mentioned the speed that Penn State brings on the perimeter that's somebody if if Hankins is out there I know he's played quite a bit of football you got to test him early you got to find out where his health is yeah you gotta you you can't really go into the shell I mean you've got to find that mismatch with the way Penn State plays with those three receivers and we saw it last week against Purdue went over at my second look a little bit there was so much attention paid to, to to KJ Hamler bracketed him a lot once he got freed up and once they you know sort of went away from that in some sort of formation they threw a touchdown pass to him and and this happened on the on the Dotson touchdown pass to just following Hamler all over the field Dotson picked up so going to be interesting to see how Penn State can take advantage of what's there um, you know I'm not sure what uh, what Iowa's going to do typically a zone team but you know it, you, you never know how they're going to come out especially at home in that atmosphere so uh, I think Penn State's going to have an opportunity to exploit some matchups they just have to find them and go with them and and then hit them and that's the that's been the big thing and I'm sorry to cut you off but Clifford once again just a couple uh, you know just a couple errant throws that uh, you know you, you saw the one to Hamler that got picked off at the start of the second half Dan Chisena was open and that's a touchdown if he completes it so uh, he's got to get it, and if he misses, you got to miss far out, and you got to miss to the outside. That's one thing that Sean Clifford's been been struggling with is he's been leaving the ball inside, and that's going to get picked. Uh, the you know the better safeties that Penn State plays, that's going to get picked, and I think Geno Stone is, is a guy that has a nose for a ball like that. This feels like a matchup where you know one or two of those kind of connections from Clifford could you know put this one in a really great spot for Penn State. I don't think you need five or six of those, and you don't need to be having a fireworks performance in this matchup because I do think, and you'll hear from our predictions later, we all are kind of of the consensus that this is a game where twenty points probably going to win it for you. That was the case a couple years ago. Um, AJ Epinesa, obviously, as Sean mentioned, is the guy who, who gets a lot of buzz of this team, uh, getting up, you know, the first round NFL draft hype. If he does elect to leave after his third year here, 
He had uh, offers from everybody in the country by the end of his sophomore year of high school. And you know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was Iowa's top-ranked signee of, of the modern recruiting era. And for the most part, that has paid off. He had 10 and a half sacks last year as a sophomore. But the two sacks this year, the five quarterback hurries, someone who I think has benefited, though, as a byproduct of his presence. And, you know, we've talked about Etor Gross-Matos and how he has helped other defensive linemen on Penn State get to the quarterback, get to the backfield. The guy here, I think, is Chauncey Golston. Um, you know, he's somebody who's coming off a pretty strong performance in against Michigan, uh, 265 pounds, six foot five. Uh, he just seems to be the one who's consistently having opportunities uh, that, that Epinesa just does not get because of the attention he receives from the opponent on a weekly basis. And I am sure he will receive from Penn State in this scenario. Uh, he's definitely a name to watch, I think. But you look across the board at this defensive line, not loaded up with a lot of beef. Yeah, I think you look at the top six defensive linemen, one guy is exceeding 300 pounds. Um, so I think, you know, it, we went this far. We went 23 minutes into a conversation about this matchup that we've circled for so long. And a big part of the reason we've both had it circled is because figured this is where you start to really learn about the offensive line. We've been pretty quiet about the offensive line on this show once the season got rolling. That was not the case in August. But maybe there is something to be said. I guess it shouldn't be much of a surprise about us seeing them get their butts whooped uh, during training camp and over and over. And we said, what are the long-term ramifications of that? Hey, maybe it pays off and it, and it suits them well going into a matchup like this. Yeah, pretty good game against Purdue. Uh, Steven Gonzalez played pretty played fairly well. Rashid Watt, actually the left side of the line, played pretty well. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle this because Iowa just is so creative with the way that they do things. Uh, they're not always big. I just keep thinking of back, what was it, Mitch King, uh, a while ago that he was just phenomenal just getting finding his way into gaps and and that's going to be something that, that Penn State has to do um, can't sit back and let the running game trying to come to you last week we saw in the fourth quarter Penn State picked up the tempo and that really you know got Noah Kane going and you can talk about uh, the back rotation uh, and all kinds of stuff but really the tempo is what got them going Purdue was kind of on its heels waiting for some check with me Penn State was able to snap the ball after that Daniel George catch uh, along the sideline and then they just kept going with it and kept going with it and Noah Kane if you're going downhill man that's the guy you want to go with uh is Noah Kane he did a phenomenal job last week so interested to see if they work any aspect of that into it interested to see how much we see 12 personnel this week with Pat Frymuth and Nick Bowers because I think that they you know that can certainly happen Justin Shorter was back at practice last night so that's obviously a good sign for for Penn State they'll be a little bit more at full strength from that aspect and yeah just uh it, it, there's a lot of interesting matchups but you just don't know what's going to happen with Iowa as you said about Stanley earlier you're not sure which one he's going to get we're, we're pretty sure it's not going to be a great one but you know he's got that in him he did it against Ohio State so um it would just be really interesting to see which Iowa team shows up I mean this atmosphere is going to be something to deal with it's going to be something different than Maryland um and, and it's going to be as you said more sustained than we saw a couple of weeks ago in College Park uh, Sean, you mentioned Noah Kane. He was the closer last week. I'm curious if if we get an early look at him because uh, the the kind of the, the trend we've seen the first five games is don't expect to see Noah Kane until maybe late in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, depending on how many drives Penn State receives. Uh, that'll be something we'll all be watching early in this game uh, out of the press box. I'm sure everyone at home is uh, after the way he finished in his first 100-yard game, does he get more early touches, or is it going to be a scenario where you get Journey Brown early, 
Ricky Slade early, and then you start to see the freshmen more involved. That's a big question mark. Looking back at that Purdue game, you published your second look piece today on Thursday uh, morning, uh, encouraging everyone to check that out on a weekly basis. Sean spends a lot of time uh, delving through the film, looking for some for trends that are going on for Penn State, and certainly a game-by-game uh, analysis of, of players and, and positions and, and approach. Anything that you'd like to address here on the podcast that, that stood out from game number five against Purdue? I've already talked about a couple of things, but I think Sean Clifford's got to be the, the X factor here. He's got to hit some of those um, and, and and really just if they can do that. And, and we saw that slowdown in the second and third and some of the fourth quarters, mostly the third quarter where they had the big slowdown. They had a couple of turnovers in the second quarter that kind of was a keep away. It's kind of a repeat of the Buffalo uh, first half. But yeah, I mean, he's got to he's got to hit those extend drives because he was, you know, not only missing the big one to KJ, but missing that one to Chisena, as I said earlier, missing some of those out routes, missing some some of the throws that you typically expect him to make. And he's still feeling his way out there. You can tell about that. Um, still working his way through some things. I expect Iowa to try and do some of the same things that Purdue did in terms of, uh, you know, their alignment says man, but they flip back into zone. And that's something that Clifford struggled with a couple of times last week. So number one, it's on him. Um, Number two, the special teams, and I really didn't talk much about this in in the second look because I don't really spend too much time on special teams, but the special teams has to be better. Jordan Stout uh, put the ball through the end zone. Uh, the, the the punting game has to be on point, and you got to figure out what you can do from that return game because I don't think you want to take too many risks on the road. KJ Hamler took a couple of uh, of risks this week, or excuse me, last week against Purdue, and then of course uh, you know they had the fumble that hit Sutherland. It's just I think they need to clean that up a little bit. Not saying they're bad or anything, but they need to clean that up a little bit because when you go on the road, the margin for error in special teams is is just so much more slim. And then of course you've got to you got to hit those field goals. Jake Pinnaker's back in Iowa this week. He's got to hit those field goals. Stout. I mean, if you can get a fifty some yarder instead of punting it and and giving up field possession uh, and, and going from there, you know maybe that happens. So just really interested to see how the special teams responds uh, because they were sort of uh, behind the eight ball last week. Didn't didn't need them. I mean, you didn't need them in a in a twenty eight to nothing ball game. But still, the execution needs to be better from that aspect. Yeah, Pinnaker missing that field goal last week, and and he was huge last year in that contest. Uh, and and you look at the kick return situation. Haven't had to deal with it much. Saw a little bit of action from Purdue in that regard. But Amir Smith-Marset, he's Iowa's leading receiver. Uh, they have, I think, four receivers uh, over 15 receptions on the year. Uh, David said he feels like this is one of the best receiving groups they've had uh, at Iowa in quite some time. So something to watch there. But uh, Smith-Marset is the guy uh, in that group. And he also is a really impressive kickoff returner. Last year, leading the Big Ten in average over 28 uh, yards per kickoff return. So if he gets an opportunity, look out for him. Um, I, I think when, when also you, you kind of – it comes back to this, Sean. It's hard not to trust this defense right now. For as much as we can nitpick the offense and some of the inconsistencies they've had, you know, the, the, the stats are across the board very impressive for this defense. And quite frankly, for Penn State, pretty impressive. They're averaging a 47-7 to 7 margin. They've scored 235 points versus 37 points. And you look at total yards, they're doubling their opponents – 1,082 to 510 total yards thus far through five games. So, look, I think, long story short, this defense has shown it has the ability uh, to put the clamp down. If they give up two touchdowns in this game, it'll be the first time they do that all season. 
it's hard to imagine them even giving up three or four touchdowns in a game. But, you know, look, it's a different environment for them as well. They're going to come across some adverse moments in Kinnick Stadium. Uh, and there is a, an experienced quarterback. There is something to be said for, for all the games that Stanley has played, three of them now against Penn State and three of them against the same Penn State defensive coordinator in Brent Pry. So uh, we'll see how things shape up. Uh, Want to get to, oh, by the way, I don't I don't know if you mentioned this, and if you did, I apologize, but Iowa. Iowa can, special teams. Yeah. yeah, Iowa special teams, aside from that kicker, Turner, uh, they got a kicker, Keith Duncan, 11 of 12 on field goals. That's tied for the second most converted field goals in FBS. He's been perfect on extra points. We've said in the past, you know, Penn State is one of the few programs you look across college football that has had that kind of reliability from their kicking game for the most part, because there's a lot of teams that severely lack it. Iowa is not one of them, and this kid, Keith Duncan, is performing at a high level. So in a game that we think... Every point's going to matter quite a bit. We're not anticipating uh, one that goes into the 30s or 40s or Penn State runs away from it and hide. Kicking's going to be important. Keith Duncan has shown that he can, he's he got the leg to do it. So yeah, something yeah, they, to look at there. They bring that back. I mean, there's just it just seems the ball shrinks when you're not at Kinnick Stadium. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with the special teams. Uh, predictions, let's get into it. Uh, let's it. Forget about the break this week. We're a little late on that. Um, but uh, predictions this week, we're, we're all right around the same. And I have 24 to 13 Penn State. Uh, curious what your thoughts are on 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 how this lead can grow because I I see Penn State and I see the superior offense and the playmakers and everything like that. You know, we put them up against an environment a couple of weeks ago and thought that you know that might be a game into the third quarter and all of a sudden it's fifty nine nothing they beat Maryland. Now we we see them going into Kinnick, which is going to be a better atmosphere, uh, you know, a much more uh, hellacious atmosphere to deal with. But still, you've got the advantage uh, on offense. So if they can get a turnover or something like they got against Maryland, I think they'll be all right. Um, I think that I don't know that it has mu- as much snowball potential um, as it did against Maryland, but you you could definitely see where that could come from. Yeah, and if any team's going to run away in this one, I do think it will be Penn State because of that. Uh, the edge they have in explosiveness, the edge they have in speed, athleticism off the edge, and and, and their ability to, to bring those kind of rotations, go deep at key positions, uh, running back. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens there. But I, I think the, what I'm looking for, and you, you kind of were going in this direction, can they manufacture the put-away drive? Because we haven't seen that yet against Pitt. They had that seven-point lead, and they had the seven-point lead, and they could never add points to it and it left them susceptible to Pitt coming back and, and tying the game or, or taking the lead late in that contest it wasn't necessary last week and you know I guess you could look at the Kane drive even though they were up 21 points and, and no one thought Purdue was going to muster a big rally late that was kind of what you're looking for but I want to see this team do it with a one possession lead and that's kind of how I see this shaping up I've got 23 13 Penn State winning this one I think it's going to be a one possession game I think they're going to have the ball get a chance and, and maybe it will be Kane again, but I think the ground game is going to be key. I think they'll march. I think they'll get down the field, get a field goal, touchdown. Uh, I, I was thinking about going 27-13 here. I didn't quite commit to that, so uh, I got 23-13, and I think they will find a way to, to demonstrate their ability to put together that drive because it's one thing that we haven't yet seen from Penn State, and the part of that is to their credit because for these games uh, they've eviscerated their opponent, but it was missing in the pit game, and I think if they leave that door open for Iowa this year, that could spell trouble for them late in the contest. Yeah, Mark uh, Mark Brennan has twenty to thirteen. About We're an, all over the place. It's about an, <laughs> yeah, right. It's about an eight point advantage uh, overall from all of our picks. Rob Riva, our, our buddy down in Jacksonville. Picks 
picked Iowa to win 17-16. So uh, your hate mail can go to Rob. We'll provide an address <laughs> next uh, next one if Penn State does lose. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I, I think that's about right. I'm, I'm looking at all these advanced metrics and the stats and stuff, and they have Penn State winning it like 32-28-ish. And I'm just thinking, where do all these points come from for Iowa? So I think that's the biggest question to, to take away from it. Uh, Penn State, if they're sound on special teams, I think they get out of there with a win. Yeah. Um, quickly to recruiting, a couple notes here. We've been talking about the visitor list growing for the whiteout game, as you'd expect next Saturday under the lights and all that. Michigan coming to town, uh, looking to repeat the, the thrashing they gave the Wolverines two years ago. Uh, big addition to the list, this list, a former ACC commit, Sean Martin, uh, as Brian Doan reported this week. Yeah, the, the list is getting bigger and it's also getting smaller. We're seeing some guys that were set to take official visits um, because of the space that Penn State has. I mean, there's just not too many opportunities at some spots. Ruben Hippolyte's a guy is committed to Maryland, a linebacker that's committed to Maryland. He's no longer coming. Darian Green-Warren, who set this visit up a while ago, cornerback uh, from California, he's not going to come. So um, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what this eventual visit list uh, looks like. Sean Martin's a guy that Penn State was, was planning on getting an official visit from in June. They got him on campus in May for an unofficial visit, thought it went really well. He committed to North Carolina a couple of weeks uh, later and then opened things up in August, and they've been on him since. So Sean Martin's an interesting one, especially if you look at the, the at what's there with the class. I mean, there's a lot of defensive linemen in this class. Of course, you can probably bounce Zariah Fisher back and forth and make the argument that he could play linebacker. Um, but uh, Sean Martin's a guy that they like a lot, and they're going to bring him in for a, a visit. Of course, Theo Johnson, a guy that they, they love, uh, I would – label him as the top overall target in 2020 right now. He will be at Kinnick Stadium on Saturday night as an unofficial visitor to check out Iowa Penn State. He'll be at Penn State the the following weekend, and I think uh, he'll be at Michigan the following weekend as well. So, um, or, or I guess the weekend after that as well. So, a lot of things going to happen now with uh, with Theo Johnson. So that'll be interesting to watch where that goes from. Posted a couple uh, 2021 offensive linemen that have uh, uh, that, that have confirmed that they're going to be there. Wyatt Milam from uh, Spring Valley High School in West Virginia is a big uh, a, a big confirmation. He's been to Penn State a bunch. He uh, looked for, great this summer when he was on campus for that yeah, big man challenge. He was he was one of the MVPs of that big man challenge. He's a former teammate of Doug Nestor, who we spent a lot of time last cycle talking about. But Penn State trying trying to work that 2021 offensive line. Milam's been up a bunch. Of course, Hayden Rucci's, or excuse me, Nolan Rucci's right down the road uh, at Warwick, the Penn State legacy. And Landon Tankwall's there. And Nate Bruce is there. Tristan Lee was on campus last weekend, going to be back for the whiteout next weekend. So really interesting to see how this 2020 offense, or excuse me, 2021 offensive line class has the potential to come together because right now they lead on the crystal ball for Rucci. They lead on the crystal ball for Tangwall, Nate Bruce. Uh, we'll see what happens with some of these swing guys like, uh, like Lee and Milam, but really, really good potential right there for in the early part of the 2021 cycle. And major potential on Saturday night for Penn State to advance its national perception. They just had the HBO show. If you saw it, you know that's not going to do them any harm in terms of perception across the country in different living rooms, different recruiting scenarios. And a game like this, you know, going into a game like next week, major opportunities on the table for James Franklin, the Penn State team, to you know thrust themselves in the college football conversation and also show these uh, recruits who are you know still poking around the program, even in the 2020 cycle, uh, that that Penn State is rolling in the right direction with a young crew and a team that looks like it continue building, moving forward, and be a contender in 2020. 
Of course, everything I just said kind of goes by the wayside a bit if Iowa uh, sends them home with a loss, but we'll find out. I'm going to be in Kinnick Stadium. I'll be in the press box along with Mark Brennan, uh, Sean holding down the fort at our command center in State College. Uh, Sean, we'll catch up with everybody on a post-game podcast, of course, uh, from Kinnick, assuming technology is our friend again. Um, any final thoughts before we step away and your, and your son gets off the school bus? <laughs> Not really. Um, you can wake me up for that post-game podcast on Saturday night. <laughs> uh, that'll be an interesting one. But by the way, my uh, my, my youngest cousin, 24 of 24, Casey, is getting married in Iowa this weekend. He's wow. from Pennsylvania. His, his fiance is from Iowa. So it's a good start for, for having both sides of the family hate you for having a wedding this weekend. My parents are actually are going out to Iowa, but of course not stopping by Iowa City for, for the game. So uh, all the best to Casey and just a terrible, terrible decision to, to, to pick this weekend. That that there sounds like a story. I might have to do a quick trip and, and do a column on that situation. There's a story there somewhere. Uh, good stuff. Congratulations to your cousin. Uh, we will catch up with everybody late Saturday night. You, uh, some of you, I'm sure, will wait until Sunday morning to hear from us, depending on how the game goes. But we'll be there to bring it all to you on lines 24-7. Follow for coverage. And, of course, we got you covered with the latest recruiting news as well. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Wishing you a great Thursday. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast.